sharks come from a different cloth Y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scraped the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us on episode number 174 of the Decoding Success podcast. Welcome once again. Super excited to have you. As always, if you are new to the show, welcome. If you are a returning member, welcome back. We are so grateful for all of you tuning into this episode. And as you know, it is Women's History Month, and I took it into the liberty, the power that we have here at Decoding Success to amplify the messages of such amazing women that are making history history in my life personally and history in the world on a global scale. So today we are joined by an amazing individual who has blessed our show in the past. In fact, maybe about six or seven months ago, we've had this amazing individual on. Her name is Carla Royal. Now, Carla and I personally work together one-on-one for many months in a journey that drastically helped me uncover who I truly am as a person, which is still an ongoing journey, but Carla is a foundational piece to that puzzle, and I am so grateful to be able to share her message with all of you. Now, Carla grew up in an anxious and stressed out family. She says that they were all miserable on the inside, but looked great on the outside, and how many of us can relate to that? It's what we see on social media today. Now, her path became came about breaking through those patterns of hidden anxiety and then helping others do the same, which is exactly what she's done for me, exactly what she's going to help you all do on this episode and maybe even beyond that. She discovered through her own personal journey and by working with hundreds of clients, first as a psychotherapist and then later as a master coach, that a healthy and clear mind creates a healthy and fulfilling life, better work performance and richer relationships, which I believe is something we all want. And that's me chiming in and saying that. Now, when you quiet your insecure or anxious thinking and overactive imagination, even temporarily, you are able to access your inner wisdom, resourcefulness, and well-being. And once again, that is exactly what Carla is helping us do. As mentioned, she has formerly worked as a psychotherapist as she holds a master's of education in counseling and has numerous certifications, which only solidify how monumental she can be because she has done the work personally, professionally, and everything in between. So once again, I am so excited to be able to deliver Carla's message to you. We have such an amazing time going back and forth, me asking her questions and her even asking me questions in this episode. What an amazing time. Super excited to have you once again. I have to throw it out there. If this is impactful to you, if you find this to be of value, make sure you are sharing it. There is no fee. There is no charge. You will not receive an invoice for listening to this episode, but we ask you to just pass it on to someone that can use it because we're talking about the depths of social media. We see it from a very surface level perspective, but on a deeper level, what is it really doing to us? What are we really trying to convey to the people that follow us and trying to build following and all that? We're talking about healing, which is such an important thing in our lives, why people avoid it and why people go for it, everything in between that and so much more. So again, I just wanted to thank you for tuning in to episode number 174 of the Decoding Success podcast. Make sure you're sharing this with the people in your circle. And now without further ado, we bring to you Carla Royal. 
Carla, my dear, dear friend, my my absolutely monumental friend, coach, I am so grateful for you. So excited to have you back for round two. I know that we last recorded an episode about six months ago. We had such a blast and the feedback from that episode was phenomenal. And being that it is um, Women's History Month, I wanted to make sure I was bringing you back because you made history in my life. And I, I truly, truly appreciate that. So welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. It's awesome to be here and good to see you again. And congratulations on the success of your podcast. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. It is due to amazing individuals like yourself. And I truly, truly mean that. But last time around six months ago or six months or so, I, I don't know if it was five, six, seven months ago, I kicked off the show by asking you how you define success. Now, we've had a few returning members of the show, um, amazing individuals as well. And I've asked them that same question again. I'm curious. I, I know what you answered. I have it written down. I'm <laughs> curious to see if there's any difference. So how does Carla define success? I have I have no memory of that question or my answer, Matt. <laughs> well, this is a good thing. <laughs> it is a good thing. Um, it's interesting because I've started a podcast with a colleague called Riffing on Realness, and we just addressed this in a recent podcast about what is success. And success, you know, I think that success in Western culture has come to mean extreme financial gain, power, popularity, uh, looking a certain way, having certain things. And, um, you know, I work with high achieving entrepreneurs who are doing very well financially, very successful, but they come to me in part for many reasons. But one of the reasons they come to me is because they thought that getting all of that success and the conventional meaning of that word uh, would make them happier and more mm. joyful. And some of them are finding that this is not at all the case. And some of them are finding, in fact, that the more success and popularity and exposure and, and financial gain that they have, the more stressed that they are becoming. So I can't define success as only financial popularity looks what you own so for me i think that success is something much much deeper i think that success is about uh, um coming home to yourself finding out who you are at your essence and living from that place, from a place of groundedness, and also discovering your own values, your calling, your purpose, and, and living that purpose. And that may or may not include making boatloads of money or being the most popular person on social media. Um, uh, in the episode that Juliet and I just did, we were talking about how some people, not the majority of people, but some people think of success as um, choosing to be homeless rather than being caught up in the rat race. I, um, there was someone, when I used to live in Atlanta, there was a homeless person. And the story I heard about her was that countless people had tried to bring her off the streets and help her and, and give her a place to live. And she simply wanted to live on the streets. It was her decision for her. That was success. So I think Matt, that success can look very different for different people, but I do think it includes connecting deeply with oneself and living from that place. I love that. Now, 
you pretty much are spot on with what you previously responded to that question. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I bullet pointed it. You said, well, I wrote Carla defines success comes from within connected to who you are internally having the interior richness. Yes. So that's okay. what you said last time around. Right. And it very much so aligns this time around. I love that. You obviously peaked a whole bunch of questions. Number one, this is going to sound like a plug here, but what's your podcast called? I want to make sure that people are able to find this um, just so we can get that out there. Yeah, it's called Riffing on Realness. And I do Riffing that with a colleague. Yes, with Juliet Faye. She and I, we don't interview people. We just together have a conversation each week. And um, the reason we wanted to start this podcast was because we saw so much rampant superficiality out there, especially with uh, social media and how we have to present ourselves so perfectly with these magazine smiles. And we wanted to come on and do something a little bit different and get really real. And it's been challenging, Matt, because um, I've been through a difficult time over the winter and I had to come on and record and be really honest and vulnerable and show my struggles. And Juliet has had some periods of time where she, too, has struggled. And we we get on before we hit record and we go, oh, my gosh, this is so scary. But we want to model what um, what we believe is is a more authentic way to live, which is uh, being real in a world of superficial uh, rampant superficial. So we're having a lot of fun with it. Right. And, you know, just just on that topic, because first and foremost, I relate to it tremendously. Um, I think 2019 into. Yeah. For, for the majority of 2019, even before that, I was getting caught up in so much egotistical behavior on social media, like having to prove to the world that, hey, I am successful on the exterior, but I wasn't on the interior. That's for damn sure. And I think that, you know, just from the work that you and I have done uh, over the course of time and whatnot, it's definitely improved tremendously, but that's beside the point. Why, like, is it, and I guess the question is, why do we need to get to that point uh, on social media? is, Is it primal? Do we, do we need to fit in? Like, what is it exactly? Well, I I can't tell you all the reasons, but one thing I do know is that uh, our brains have two priorities. One is to keep us safe and one is to conserve energy. One of the ways that it that it does both of those things is it's constantly scanning for danger. We have that negativity bias. It's constantly scanning for danger uh, in an attempt to keep us safe. The problem with that hypervigilant negativity bias is it it was it was really developed in our brain um, through evolution to keep us safe from imminent danger. The, the, The problem with today is that we're rarely in imminent danger, but we activate that primitive part of our brain as if we're in imminent danger. Just, you know, you know, if we need to have a difficult conversation, it can activate that primitive part of our brain that says danger, danger, you're not safe. When the truth is there is no imminent danger. Another way that the brain tries to keep itself, keep us safe is by belonging, a sense of belonging. And back in the days of saber-toothed tigers in tri- in tribal cultures, if you were kicked out of your tribe, you would literally die because you couldn't survive in those times without your tribe. The primitive part of your brain remembers that. <laughs> So, so when we uh, feel like we're going to uh, not be accepted in our culture, among our people, our tribe, if you will, um, the brain goes into freak out mode and says, danger, 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 Uh, Mm -hmm. imminent danger, you know, death 
kind of danger. You're going to die if you're not accepted. And I think that when we are unconscious of that primitive brain being activated, then we do get really caught up in um, in just what you said, presenting yourself in a certain way, whether or not that's how it is inside of you, whether or not that's truly authentic. But I think it's I think it's really sort of a, a fear based. And we right. listen that we grow up in a culture all of our lives that tells us this is how we have to behave. This is what we have to believe. This is how we have to look. So we come by this this need, if you will, very, very innocently. The problem is that when we keep presenting this idealized um, version of ourselves, it does a lot of damage to us. I think it's incredibly toxic. I think it sets us up for tremendous shame um, and constant judgment. And and this can actually under, undermine ourselves just personally and also in our relationships with other people. Right. Now, What's your take on this? I mean, I, I just experienced this recently. I saw an individual on social media that that is close to me crying for help, but not like waving my hands on social media saying, help me, help me. Yeah. But doing just that in regards to posting out of character in a more idealized way. I personally feel like the individual, and I mean, I've done this myself, so I, I can speak from experience, which is why I'm asking. And, you know, God forbid, you know, something happens to someone in, in maybe a listener's life because of this. Like, what? I don't get why people get to that extent, like the, those cries for help on social media. Um, does that make sense? I'm not sure what you mean, but like you said, it was not an overt cry for help. It was, it wasn't, it wasn't a, Hey, help me, help me. It wasn't like I'm waving my hands, but it was almost like they were acting so out of character that you could tell they needed help. I see. You know, your question is why do people do that? Yeah. Like, yeah. Why is it so subliminal as opposed to blatantly coming forward and like getting the help themselves, you know? Yeah, I got you. Yeah. I I think that, um, was it a man or a woman? It was a woman. It was a woman, which was very surprising. Yeah. I, I, I really do think Matt that, um, that, that we've been taught, we've been given messages that it's weak to ask for help. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things I, I see in my coaching practices is just a toxic individualism. And listen, I, man, I'm, I'm all for individualism. I'm an individualist. And I am a pack animal at the same time. Right. You know, like my dog is a pack animal. We are meant to be in community. <laughs> But we've been given this message all of our life that it's weak to ask. And I think it's even even harder for men to ask for help, which was why I was asking. But it's also, you know, hard for women to ask as well. And I think it's again, it's just that fear of being perceived as as weak and therefore not worthy of being in this tribe and maybe being kicked out and then dying to the primitive part of the brain. Do you think that it's difficult for women to ask for help? because they've took on taken on so much masculine energy in their life 
I think I'm not sure uh, to right. be honest, but what I, my, my professional guess is that um, women are trying to find a place uh, in the market, in the marketplace, in the world that's different than just being a housewife at home and, and mm-hmm. taking care of the kids and cooking the meals and washing the clothes. And what we've seen is that, that uh, in this culture that is more male dominated and it is changing, it is changing absolutely changing. But I think initially women um, who came on and had the real feminist character, feminine, feminine characteristics of say humility or sensitivity or tenderness or nourish, uh, nurturing, um, they were told that it was weak, that it was too girly, that it would never work in the workplace. And so I think that many women, um, especially initially coming into the male-oriented workplace, um, said, I've got to take on these masculine qualities and and be aggressive and be uh, hardcore and, and this, that, and the other thing. And of course, that wasn't didn't go over very well either. Then the women were called a bitch. But then if you were sensitive, you were called a crybaby. So I think that it's it's a it's a matter of women trying to find their way into this this world, into the male dominated culture um, in a way that that will be more accepted. And I think that we're still trying to figure that out. Right. And I, I think that's simply going to take time until women are allowed to come into the workplace, the marketplace uh, with all of their feminine qualities, as well as masculine qualities. We all have both. Right. You have feminine qualities as well. As For masculine. sure. And, yeah. and so do I. So it's it, we all have both. Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, because and I just read a book recently called The Way of the Superior Man. I'm pretty sure you were the one that recommended it to me. Uh, It was a phenomenal book, but it talked a lot about masculine and feminine energies. And it really woke me up to when I, you know, the the balancing act between the two, because it should be a balancing act, in in my opinion, you know, Um, and I I noticed that in my life. And I'm glad that we're talking about women here. Obviously, as mentioned earlier, you know, this is we're bringing you back for uh, Women's History Month. Now, the women in my life, I could talk about my mother who exudes a lot of masculine energy. I feel like she does so because she was hurt in her life and she never properly healed. And listen, my mom's a phenomenal woman. I'm not talking bad about her, Mm -mm. but you know, she went through a divorce. Um, I I don't know if she ever went to therapy for that or anything, or, you know, how she processed that in a healthy way. Um, I have, uh, or my mother also, she she lost her mother at a very young age before I was even born. So that was 28 years ago. Uh, and I just had my mother on the podcast last week and I asked her, I said, how did you heal from your mother passing away? And she even said, do you ever really heal? And I think that was very interesting to me because I, I, I watched my mother and she exudes a lot of masculine energy. But I feel like if she would just heal or and it's I say just heal in a way that it's like a snap of the finger type of thing. I don't mean yeah. it like that, yeah. um, you know, but if she would practice, practice the healing, it would help. Do you agree with that? You know, I hear people saying um, often that you never heal from from a the loss of a loved one. And this has just not been my experience. Um, my mother's death rocked me to my core. In fact, it 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 
I spiraled to the very depths of despair for four years after my mother died and a year before she died as she was dying. Uh, it was the most transformative time of my life, also the most painful time of my life that I can recall. Uh, but but I feel completely healed from my mother. Does that mean I don't miss her? Of course not. But I feel complete. And the same with my father. I feel absolutely complete with that. Um, so I, I do I do believe people can heal. And but, you know, Matt, you come into this world with in my view, more consciousness than your mother maybe had available to her. Sure. And your paths are so very different. You know, you're on a on a personal transformative trajectory, you know, that you, you have grown up in a culture where it was so much more acceptable to have a therapist, a coach, um, even a psychiatrist. Whereas back when your mother was coming through, those things were, were looked down upon, frowned upon. You were crazy. You, you It wasn't okay. And so there was a lot of, um, and even maybe even a more individualist society where we were just supposed to buck up Mm. and be strong no matter what. And I think that that does keep us from, if you think about a cut on your arm, if if you just covered up without cleaning it out first, it very well could get infected and have a, a harder time healing. So I think some of these people, that's kind of what happens is they don't deal with the wound. They just covered up and gutted out and just keep moving forward. So yes, I think that more freedom and healing is, is definitely available. Um, But I think it's, it can be a bit more challenging for people of a different generation. Sure. Sure. No, a hundred percent. I totally get that. Now in regards to like balancing the energies between masculine and feminine, I kind of want to go back to that. What, how can we balance them? You know, and for for me, honestly, it was healing, which is why I asked that last question, like healing really made me aware of them first and foremost, and then also helped me balance them again, or at least, Mm -hmm. you know, reconfigure them in my life, because uh, whether it was in a relationship or friendship or business, I had a little bit one too much or or one too many of, of a certain energy. So I'm curious, like, what's your take on that? I would for just a minute like to turn that question back on you, Matt, because I think it would be really useful to hear because I just heard you say, I know one of the things you said in your testimonial video for me back several months ago was that you were taking down your masks, taking down your masks, taking off your masks. And you just said, I'm learning how to balance the male and feminine. I would love to hear from you how it's been for you. And then I'll, I'll be happy to come back. And that <laughs> I love this. Uh, so for me, it, number one has been a challenge. Um, I I wore every every masculine mask you could think of, mm-hmm. and I didn't even know this. In fact, I was actually just called out on it two weeks ago in a polite and fun way. Actually, I just did a Instagram live with the gentleman I used to work for from Shark Tank, and he told me that I I was a know it all back then. No, and one of the masculine masks is a know it all mask, and I was like, okay, I was the know it all. I had the athlete mask for certain. In fact, I actually have the athlete mask still. If we went to an arcade and there was a, you know, a basketball game where you could, you know, you, you shoot against someone, I, I would go as hard as possible, you know, just, and granted I'm competitive as well. Regardless, I had so many of these masks on and I think just 
going through the process of working with you, going through the process of working with my therapist, reading more books on the topics and just combining everything I was learning really helped me remove those masks. But on the flip side, at the same time, healing from things that I didn't heal from in the past, and I just suppress, consistently suppress, whether it was getting arrested or whether it was parents being divorced or lack of attention from parents or whatever the case was, it helped me rebalance the feminine side too, because I noticed that in a past relationship, the the female had more masculine energy than me and that made me you know we wouldn't have been compatible whatsoever if it was masculine and masculine energy all the time right so i i was taking on so much feminine energy at that point i think just taking a step back from everything and really just examining it really helped me recalibrate all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, That was my process and it's still ongoing. So I don't Mm -hmm. want to talk like it's finished. Like there, it's almost overwhelming to uh, get to a certain point and be like, fuck, there's still more work to do. Yes. You know, but uh, that, that's what it was for me at least. Okay. Well, you know, Matt, I'm 60 and, and the, uh, the journey continues. Mm -hmm. We'll never reach, um, you know, perfect balance or perfection or whatever I believe. So, so you're, you're doing great. You know, I think part of the issue is even like, again, the, the brain wants to conserve energy and keep us safe, right? One of the ways the brain conserves energy is to is lab, is through labeling so that we don't have to, to think about everything so hard when we encounter it. it. There's this label. It conserves our brain's energy. And we go, oh, that's a tree. Great. I know, I know trees. No problem. The problem, I think, um, and, and that's really important and useful. But when we don't see beyond the labels, then I think that we can be living a very limited life, not experiencing all the good and true and beautiful that's available to us. One of the ways we do this is even even by labeling feminine and and masculine energy, Mm. you know, even the the idea that that sensitivity and tenderness is a feminine characteristic is actually not true. If you look at little boys before they've been indoctrinate, indoctrinated into the macho way of being, there's a real tenderness. There's a curiosity. There's a there's a sensitivity that's practically beat out of you guys. And women, on the other hand, are encouraged to go in that way, to go down that route of being more and more sensitive, more and more nourishing um, and ignoring other aspects of who they are. Um, and so I think if, if we can loosen up these ideas of what male and feminine are um, and just go, who am I at my core? Who am I? Well, I'm sensitive. I'm kind. I can be mean. I can be harsh. I'm extraordinary. Just personally me, Matt, I'm extraordinarily um, uh, competitive. In fact, my ex-husband used to kind of, who was wonderful, by the way, I don't have a bad thing to say about him, a gentle, kind, good man. But um, he did not care for my competitiveness, you know, in part because he was conditioned that that a woman who's ultra competitive is, is, you know, just probably not a very nice woman or not a very pretty woman or not a very feminine woman or whatever. So um, we, we say that super competitive is a male trait. Well, no, I don't think it is. I think it's just a person 
trait. Some people are super competitive and other people are not. So I think waking up to all aspects of who we are, relaxing a little bit about around the labels um, and and seeing um, what is beautiful for a woman to be competitive. See, because we're talking about Women's Month. What's beautiful about a woman taking charge? What's beautiful about a woman being ultra direct and having ultra strong boundaries and expectations or agreements? You know, I think um, seeing the beauty of that as, as a whole person thing and not just this feminine thing or this masculine thing can be really helpful to us in, in balancing all of that. We also have to look at why we're so afraid, why men are so afraid to, to embrace what has been termed or labeled feminine and why women are so afraid to embrace the masculine. I think for women, oftentimes it can feel unsafe you know, because women will get called a bitch or women will be discounted if they are too aggressive or assertive. Let's use assertive as, as the word um, or having these strong opinions. Um, so I think for women, it's it, it takes for both men and women, it takes a tremendous amount of courage to embrace certain aspects of ourselves. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I actually really resonate with that. In fact, I've been in a position where I was intimidated by a partner that I had because, and you know what, it it revealed to me things I needed to work on. Um, Granted, they were really external things and I felt like they were, they were almost inauthentic coming from this person, but she's a phenomenal individual. I was just so intimidated by her because she was making so much more money than me. Hmm making so much more money than me. Like I'm talking like $150,000 more than me. And I'm just like, whoa, like I backed down because it made me feel inadequate. Right. And even the competitive aspect of it. like but Isn't that interesting, Matt, that, I mean, number one, women are not supposed to make more money than men. We know this, right. culturally speaking. Um, and so when women start to do that, it can even feel, um, like you say, intimidating to men, which is, I remember my mother telling me, I was interested in this guy in high school and we were playing tennis and she said, don't beat him. <laughs> win. And I was a great athlete. And I knew I was better than than he was. And she said, don't if you're interested in him, don't don't beat him because he won't like that. And (laughs) how fragile are men that they are are, you know, and it's not that men are fragile. They're not fragile. They've been given a message all of their lives that if they if women outperform them, then there's something wrong with them. That's not true. It's not true. I, I'm, I, I love your awareness of waking up to that and seeing that, you know, and dealing with that. But it, her making more money than you says, than you says absolutely nothing about who Matt Labrie is. Nothing whatsoever. Right. right. Yeah. At that point in my life, it most definitely did. That, that was 2019. It was, yeah. oh my goodness. Um, it's so interesting you say that. I almost, uh, in regards to beating uh, the gentleman in tennis, I, I want to find a, a partner that could beat me in something. <laughs> Whether it's chess, checkers, video games, you know, a sport, like, I think that would be awesome. Like, it makes I, you a better athlete or a better gamer, uh, yeah. whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Right, right. I it love can. that. I, I can, it can for sure. Uh, so I, I want to bring this back on to you now. You know, 
Women's History Month, I'm curious, like you've done so much amazing things and you've helped so many amazing people. And I'm not even saying that for brownie points or anything. Like I truly mean it, like the work that we've done together, I'm so grateful for. And even just connecting last week when, you know, I contacted you saying, hey, like I have some questions, some questions I would I would like to amplify here as well. Who influenced you? Like, who was it that influenced you in your life? Matt, I have been so fortunate to have adults all along because I had a I had a, some trauma growing up and, and some difficulty in my family. Right. Uh, and um, I have had just people show up all along the way. I mean, the first the first couple that showed up for me, they were young. They were in their early 20s and I was 11 or 12 and they were the youth ministers. The youth minister and his wife came very young, 23, 24 <laughs> Not much older than me, but at the time, it seemed they just took me under their wing. We're still best friends to this day. And um, they they were super helpful to me. But adults all along the way, therapists along the way, coaches along the way um, have been incredibly helpful. I honestly can't say there's this one person that that stands out. But I will say that that through the, some of my darkest years when my mother was dying and, and my whole world was turned upside down, I had a friend who was maybe 16 years older than me. I called her my mother sister friend. And she and I went to the depths of despair and life got pretty crazy and pretty chaotic and pretty messy. And what she did for me, Matt, was she simply and purely loved me. No judgment about some really bad choices I was making. She utterly believed I would find my way. And this is what I love doing for my clients is no matter what's going on for my client, um, I, I see them. I believe them. I'm a witness for them. I'm a safe place for them because all of this judgment and shame we heap upon ourselves is toxic and it, um, it keeps us from thriving. I was just looking at um, a research study. Unfortunately, I can't remember her name, a researcher out of the UK um, and she said that the, the way, the, the easiest, best way to change your life, to transform your life is to be kind to yourself. This is what the research shows. Being kind. That does not, you know, there's a difference in kindness and niceness. Niceness is, is uh, can be putting on a face, not standing up, not having boundaries, um, brown nosing. That can be nicey, niceness. But kindness is strong. Kindness is firm. Kindness um, is compassionate. Kindness is non-judgmental. Um, but there are consequences with kindness. It's not just this this nice. I'm going to make you feel okay, kind of thing. And I, I believe that that's what um, that particular Landis did for me all those years ago, and so many people have done for me, is just stand with me through it. I love that. So, and I appreciate the vulnerability as always. If you don't mind, I I just have a question about like those dark times, you know, what made you want to get out of it? Because I know people that know they're depressed, that know they need help and they don't do it. Right. And they just live in it. Well, I, I I think everybody's journey is really unique, Matt. And I wouldn't, um, you know, what worked for me is not a prescription, not something I can prescribe for someone else. And not to mention, I wouldn't want to because it was extraordinarily frightening and dark and and messy. But um, 
I, I think the brilliance of what happened to me was that I let myself go to the utter, utter depths. Mm. And I didn't let anybody stop me. People were wanting to intervene because it was getting pretty bad. And I simply didn't let them. And what what I did was I went to the absolute depths of despair to the point of almost, literally almost dying. And um, and I think that by allowing myself to hit absolute bottom was the brilliance that ultimately transformed me. I think so many people in their um, with their good hearts and their well-meaning want to help people not go to the depths. And I sometimes think that that um, attempted intervention can stop people from fully feeling the pain of where they are. And some of us uh, are so stubborn. I am one of those people that um, that if I don't feel the full consequences, I can live in um, depression a very long time. <laughs> mm. oh, you know, that. and so I needed to hit absolute terrifying bottom. And, you know, the, it, it's scary because I may it could have been that I wouldn't have made it. I mean, that that could have happened that I didn't make it. I, I did make it and I'm grateful. Um, but I, but I think that um, we have to let people we have to let people go to the depths and stop right. trying to save people because I think only we can save ourselves. We can get support, but only we can save ourselves. Does yeah, that make sense? it makes a lot of sense. I've tried to save many people. It's, you know, yeah. you can't save someone that doesn't want to be saved. Well, you, you know? can't save anybody, even if they do want to be saved, I propose. Right. They have to right. do it for themselves. So how do you go in and be ultra present and witness them and stand with them and believe in their own resilience, resourcefulness and wisdom and shine a light on that for them? I mean, that's really what we can do for people. Right. I love that. Now, you know, you talk about getting to rock bottom. I'm assuming there was no trampoline at the bottom. So you didn't spring right back up. No, no. How did you see the light or at least believe in the light when you got to those depths? Oh, um, I don't share this very often and very publicly. You don't have to if you don't. If I, you will, don't need to. I will do it. I, I can't exactly tell you what happened, but I did um, take a bunch of pills and end up in the hospital with my stomach being pumped. And, and, but I, I have to, again, this is why I say this is not a prescription. Um, but when I woke up in that hospital, it was over. I, I, whatever I needed to learn, whatever I needed to see, I saw the depression was gone. Now everybody else around me was freaking out, <laughs> of course. Um, but I knew for the first time, maybe in my life that I was okay. I don't know what happened, Matt. It was sort of like a little, it was an epiphany, an enlightenment moment, whatever you want to call it, I don't know, but it was like the veil was pulled back and I I saw how much um, I wanted to be in this world um, with all of its ups and downs, with all of its, um, um, you know, gore and brilliance. And I was able somehow to um, connect with myself in a way that I had never done before. So again, it's not a prescription. I don't recommend anybody, anybody doing that. And it wasn't just that single moment of time. It was a whole process. I was in therapy um, all the way up to that point and was sitting across from someone who was witnessing me, seeing me, loving me, accepting me and not judging me. Um, that was incredibly powerful. 
Um, so I, I can't, I can't, it was sort of somewhat of a mystical experience that I can't exactly put words around or describe, but right. it was transformative. No, I definitely appreciate the vulnerability. I did not know that about you. And obviously we've been connected for some time. So I, yeah. I appreciate that. I definitely yeah. appreciate it. And, it. and it wasn't all fun and games after that either. It mm-hmm. was, it was coming into a whole new way of being and it was very wobbly for a while. You right. know, it took some years to sort of process all of that and move through all of that. Sure. I could imagine. Wow. So you talk about the roller coaster, the ups and downs. I, I know that I believe it was last week we connected, maybe the week before that. But, you know, I I mentioned that not only myself, but numerous individuals in my life. And it's funny. Well, not funny, but another individual put something out on social media yesterday who I'm friends with. And she also just said that she was feeling the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Mm -hmm. How do we embrace that? And, and, you know, I, I understand we're in unprecedented times still. I know the world is slowly opening back up, but like we are in times that have been like no other. Um, I've personally never lived through anything like this. So, I mean, I, and I say this very transparently for the people that listen, like I had, and yesterday was a day for me. Like yesterday was a day. It was, it was a high, high. And then all of a sudden a low, low where I was stressed and, and like all the things you don't want to feel. So I'm curious, like, how do you find yourself embracing that roller coaster? That's a great question because I, I have, I can't tell you how many clients come to me and say, um, I want to mitigate these highs and lows and I want to be more right here. And I'm like, you know, if you do that, you're going to miss out on a lot of the good and the true and the beautiful in life. You really are. And, and, you know, part of it is we, you know, I think that positive, the positive psychology movement has, um, has been helpful in some ways, but I also think it's been harmful. This idea that we should only feel um, happy things or joyful things um, and never feel bad things, that there's something wrong with us or that we're not enlightened enough or that we're not um, transformed enough if we feel grief or sadness or anger. Um, I just think that's a lie. I think it's not true. And I think it has um, damaged us as a culture and not at all, not served us. Uh, What I would like to see and what I'm trying to practice both with myself and and with and help my clients is um, is that if emotions number one don't tell us anything about who we are at our essence and they're not anything to be frightened of there's 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 information in our emotions that we need to connect with and ask you know what are you here to show me you know if i'm very sad about something it can tell me about what i value same with anger anger is a wonderful emotion because it can give us energy to make things happen that need to happen now to take up residence in any of these emotions um, can be can lead to a whole lot of suffering. So we don't wanna take up residence in them or collapse in them. But what we do wanna do is have a little distance between who we are at our essence and our emotions. Our emotions are not us. Um, When we can see them, emotions as something that is just kind of moving through us, we don't have to take it so personally. Um, We don't have to take them so seriously. And we certainly don't have to be afraid of them. Then there's something about just that understanding that can help us lighten up a little bit around it. One of the things that's helped me so much, Matt, is I still get down. And um, but now when I get down, 
what I used to do, you can imagine, I used to be a psychotherapist. I'm a coach now. My personality is extraordinarily introvert, in, in, introspective. Um, I like to plunge the dark, deep depths of everything. And so it used to be when I got down, I would, um, I would judge it, number one, as a problem. I would judge it as wrong. Number two, I would then start to analyze it to death. What's going on? What's wrong with me? What happened? Where did this come from? And I have to say that by doing that, it kept the, the downness, the depression alive. Now what I do when I wake up down, which I do, I note it. And research shows that this is what you can do. You can note your feeling. You can label your feelings. I, and I feel angry. I feel sad. And then you say just a couple of sentences about it. I feel angry today because uh, something didn't go my way or somebody cut me off on the truck, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I only say a couple sentence about, uh, sentences about it. And then I just go about my day. I don't go on and on into some heavy duty narrative full of all this meaning and what it means. Humans are meaning making machines is what we do. Um, and therefore, when I do that, when I label it, I give it a couple of sentences of description and then I go about my day. Um, I'm removing my attention from it, you know, in a way that it no longer debilitates me. I can just go about my day. And what I find is often a few hours later, I look up from my computer screen. And I'm like, oh, I feel fine now. And sometimes I don't. Sometimes I still feel down, but I don't view it anymore as a problem. I love that. I have so many questions. Uh, <laughs> firstly, and this is, a, this is on a personal note. Um, there seems to be, and you know, personal, just not only myself, but the people in around me, there seems to be a lot more negative, um, low lows is what I'm referring to than high highs right now. Uh, and you, you could have answered it by saying that we, we might be living there, um, living in those emotions and whatnot. I, I know I sure do that. So I, I could speak for myself. I most yeah. definitely do that. Uh, and then another answer could be that, you know, it's just the times that we're in. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious, like, are you experiencing any anything like that? Oh. Or, you, you know, people... Yeah. Yes, Matt, I, I think that we are living in extraordinary times and it's not just the pandemic, it's political unrest, social unrest. Um, there's there's a lot of uncertainty in ways right. that that, um, that has been building for years long before the pandemic. Um, and I think that people are legitimately off balance. And um, and I do think, you know, I, I've had a rough couple of months over the uh, holidays and um, I do think that that there's a collective stress that's taking a toll on all of us. Mm -hmm. So I do think that some of us um, may be feeling more lows than we were a year ago or five years sure. ago or whatever. So I think you're you're pretty normal in that. Um, and I think what's needed at this time is just a great deal of understanding and compassion. Um, one of the things I tell my clients often is, you know, when you wake up in the morning, because there's a pandemic, because there's all this unrest in, in multiple ways, um, there's a way in which you wake up with 20% just taken off the top available to you. 20% of your energy is sort of taken off because it's wrapped up in the pandemic and, you know, whether you should take the vac vaccine and um, whether Trump did win or didn't win and whether Biden is going to make us a socialist company or not a socialist, you know, and there's all this stuff even if we're not consciously aware of it, that's swirling around. So there's a way in which I wake up in the morning with 
80%, let's say, and that's not including what I might have going, going on personally or other places, but let's just be sure. generous and say I have 80%. Now, if I show up to my work day at 80% and I'm demanding 100% for myself, I'm going to be pretty frustrated oh, and yeah. pretty agitated and I'm going to judge myself. But if I show up and go, look, I'm at 80% today. Oh, and by the way, this just happened over here. I'm actually at 70%. Oh, and by the way, I just had a breakup. I'm at 50% today. Now, if I sit at my desk and say, how can I show up at 50% today? Well, that's so much more realistic and easier for me to deal with than right. coming in and saying, oh, I have to show up at 100% today because that's not possible because 100% isn't available to me. I think that that's one of the ways you can help yourself not collapse into your emotions so much. The other thing I would say about collapsing into your emotions, and you know the difference in having an emotion and collapsing in the, the emotion, I surely do. It consumes me when I collapse into it. You start looking at the stories you're telling yourself about what you're feeling. Start looking for your narrative. Start looking for the meaning you're making of that. Start looking for the stories you're telling yourself. And when you catch yourself in a story and you call it what it is, it's a story. You know, I shouldn't be depressed today is a story. I shouldn't be at 50% today is a story. When we wake up to our stories and see them for what they it, for what they are, often it's easy for us to disengage a little bit, get a little space between ourselves and the story um, and relax a little bit. Oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm low today. I don't know if it's all the allergies, which you see me sniffing and it's and it's just my immune system is fighting. So I'm a little low of energy. I don't know if it's the pandemic. I don't know if it's I just got my first vaccine and I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know. And it really doesn't matter. Right. I love it's that. OK. Yeah, I resonate with that on such a high level, especially the because uh, I've been doing this. Um, I am waking up thinking that I'm at 100 percent daily. Now, I could tell you my Monday and Tuesdays are just always jam packed. Uh, I still get my seven to eight hours of sleep, which is what I need. Uh, I've, I've come to realize that I, I very <laughs> much so value that. Yeah. But I wake up and I'm, I'm always demanding 100 percent, even when I don't feel 100 percent. Yeah. And and that stresses the fuck out of me, like stresses me to no other extent, like to the extent I've never even been to. And I'm like, why am I so stressed? Yeah. Like I, I feel it physically and I'm like, I've never felt physical stress like this. Yeah. But uh, I, I really, really resonate with that um, so, so much. So, so much. Um you know, you, you were talking emotions I, and I'm, I'm just going to share a quick little story with you. I, I told you I was doing the flotation therapy mm -hmm. and um, I, I was doing it on Sunday of this past weekend. And in the process of it, I, I asked myself, you know, honestly, I let the mind wander. I, I try not to do anything in there. I know you and I have had multiple conversations about like I was doing like all these breathing exercises. You were like, Matt, why don't you just be? So I kind of just be, I just float, you know, if I hit the side, I bounce off the side, whatever the case is. And at one point this past weekend, I think it's so interesting. You bring up emotions, which is why I'm sharing this. This past weekend, I was in there and I asked myself, I'm like, what are you feeling? Like, like, what are you feeling? Anger came up. Mm -hmm. I had like, I, I am so angry at, you know, just like certain situations in my life and uh, anger came up and I literally felt myself processing it as opposed to living in it. Mm. And I thought it was such a beautiful mm -hmm. thing. I actually started to get the chills. I mean, I'm floating in like 90 
eight degree water or whatever it is. And I'm getting the chills. I'm like, it was just such a beautiful thing to experience, like the letting go of the emotion. And listen, if it pops back up, it pops back up. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will because the thoughts are still in the mind. But I just wanted to share that because I thought it was so, so beautiful. And I, I, also, if I can do it, everyone can do it because I am someone that literally catches an emotion, whether it's anger, um, you know, sadness or whatever. And I just like grab it and I don't let go. Like I, I don't let go. I'm just like, oh, you're mine. You're mine. But uh, I just I, I needed to share it. Yeah, you kind of we and we do. We tend to feed it. Right. Some an image that helps me sometimes is that, you know, think of the, the sky. You know, you could think of the sky as your true self. And the clouds or the weather that comes through, those are your emotions, your thoughts and so forth. You are not the cloud. You are not the storm. These things come and go. They always will. They'll come and go. When you can get a little bit of distance between you, the clear sky and that storm, that it's not me. Yes, I live in Florida. When a hurricane comes, I batten down the hatches. If an emotional storm comes, I batten down the hatches. That might be, um, you know, soaking in the tub. It might be going on a long walk. Something to to attend to my emotional well-being, but not collapsing into it and and, um, deciding that this is going to kill me or whatever, or that I'm a bad person for having this. So viewing these emotions as clouds, and sometimes they stock in really hard, and sometimes they just float right through. Mm. I love that. I, I can talk to you forever. I, I really, really can. Um, I guess a question I have for you, and I've asked you this last time, but is there anything that I'm not asking that I should be asking? Like, is there something that's out there? You know, our demographic is millennials, um, high performing individuals, not necessarily entrepreneurs. We have everyone from interior designers in corporate America to nurses and doctors listening to us. Mm-hmm. Is there something I should be asking? Well, you ask great, great questions, Matt. So I think you do a pretty good job. Um, you know, I, I just I, I think that we are living in such a fast, fast time. And um, there's a lot of toxicity in this culture. I do think it's changing somewhat. Um but change is genuinely, genuine, general, generally, good gosh, generally, <laughs> I can't get it out, Matt, um, a difficult thing for anyone to do. And again, I think that's a function of the brain because it wants, it likes the familiar and anything that's not familiar, it feels it takes as a threat. Right. So um, I, I just would say, you know, I want people to practice more kindness towards themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, they will be able to practice more kindness towards other others. I think that people um, are so judgmental of others, so demanding of others in, a, in an unrealistic way because they do that to themselves. And I think that if people could practice more kindness toward themselves, um, we'd see we'd see a difference, and people would would have a little more ease and flow and joy in their lives. Earlier, and I, I want to squeeze this question in while my puppy's squeaking his toy over here. Um, you mentioned that kindness to oneself can come with consequences. Uh, you I? mentioned that something along those lines, maybe not. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, yes. I know what I was saying was um, I wasn't saying it particular specifically kindness towards oneself, but yes, kindness towards oneself or towards anyone can have consequences. What I mean by that, I, I would say it a little bit differently is that, um, you know, to be kind to myself may mean um, that I don't have that extra piece of cake. 
So you could think of that as, uh, I don't know if you talk about that as a consequence, but, but um, it doesn't mean, you know, niceness is whatever you want, Carla, you can have, you know, but kindness right. is, um, no, I need to, to be kind to myself personally. I need to dr- eat a lot of vegetables and fruits. I need right. to eat less sugar, not no sugar for me. Some people may need to eat no sugar. I don't know. Um, you know, it means um, not having that third drink in some cases. Mm-hmm. It means uh, that's true kindness. Um, so kindness is different than niceness in that I'm just not going to give myself whatever I think I want in any given moment, even if it's not good for me. That's not kind. Right, right. Okay, that makes sense. I was just curious because I didn't get to squeeze that question, but I definitely appreciate this, Carla. I don't want to take up more of your time. I know I got to get you out of here in five minutes. I just wanted to say thank you. Thank uh, you. I love, I love, 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 love talking to you. We had such amazing feedback the last time. Like, such amazing feedback. Like I'm so, so grateful to be able to bring you back on here and probably have new ears listening to the show and whatnot. So I just wanted to express my gratitude to you for hopping on here, but also for, you know, you really guiding me to transformative time in my life. And I don't say that as a plug. Like I I truly, truly mean that I'm such a different person and um, you know, I'm really grateful for that. So I just wanted to say thank you again. Well, I thank you for this opportunity. I love riffing with you, Matt. I love what you're up to in the world. And I'm, I'm just really proud of you thank and you. The, the work that you're doing uh, internally and that that's spreading externally as well. I'm just really proud of what you're, what you're up to. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I will, as always, have socials, websites. I'll even put the podcast link in the show notes thank so you. that people can find it easily. I want to make sure people, you know, we're getting more ears on that for sure. Um, I'll have all that good stuff in the show notes. Just thank you again, Carla. You're the best. Thank you, Matt. You are too. Talk to you later. There it is, episode number 174 with our friend, my dear friend, my coach, Carla Royal. Now, again, if you found this episode to be of value, make sure you're sharing it with the people that are in your circle, your group chats, your coworkers, your colleagues, your staff, your family, everyone in between, your mentors, your mentees, whoever the case is. That means the absolute world to us. And if you share it on social, make sure that you are not only tagging myself, tagging the show, but also tagging Carla so she knows that you heard her here on Decoding Success. On top of that, make sure you're connecting with Carla. You can find all of her social links, handles, websites, all the good stuff, podcasts, like I said, all that good stuff in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.